Good morning. Should we do, should we do an 8 o'clock service every week? And the other thing, too, I was going to have you greet each other, and I was going to have you ask the guys, where's your suit? Easter. Are you supposed to wear a suit on Easter? I mean, I did. Did you not get the memo? Actually, we should wear a suit every Sunday if that's what we're celebrating, because every, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Amen? So welcome, and uh, you're here early. We're going to have... Uh, Actually, there are about 29 people now signed up to be baptized. So that is, like, awesome. Uh, the problem is, if you give three minutes to, per baptism, you got it? <laughs> so I think there's, like, nine second service and 23rd. Praise the Lord. And uh, we're going to make each one of those individual because it's such a huge Huge thing that goes on in baptism, where there's that public acknowledgement of following Jesus. But in that is, is the picture of resurrection. So I'll, we put them under the water, and as you come up, it's a picture of the, old, of the old life being buried and the new life now lived in Christ. So pretty sweet. Now, how many of you used to go to sunrise services? People were asking about that this morning. I said, I pointed outside and said, that's why we don't do there is no sun in the northwest, okay? <laughs> anyway, so we're going to go we're going to jump forward now like we did last week for the Palm Sunday. This week we're going to jump ahead in our study in Mark to chapter 16. So if you would open your Bibles or whatever you have for a for the word this morning and would you stand? I'm going to just read the first 8 verses. We'll we'll look really at at the chapter, but this the first 8 verses I'll pray and then we'll ask the Holy Spirit to minister these things of the resurrection and really the rejoicing we have. So when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb... They saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So, Lord, we're thankful again for your resurrection. And we're, we're celebrating as your people this morning. And, Lord, I would pray, as, as we have been praying, just in knowing the truth, in being set free by the truth, and having been given new life, because of what you accomplished for us in your death, your burial, and your resurrection. We are praying for those, our loved ones, who do not have that salvation. They don't know you, Lord. So please, bless this word to our hearts. Draw people to you as only you can. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So, today is Resurrection Sunday. Um, 
also called Easter, but we don't like calling it Easter because it has nothing to do with Easter bunnies. It has to do with the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm not against... Oh, I'll leave it there. <laughs> the most profound statement ever uttered by any human being was spoken by Jesus, or were spoken by Jesus, multitudes. In John 11, Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die... He shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He followed that with the most significant question ever asked. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? In John 3, 16, we're all very familiar with that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but notice, he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son, and this is the condemnation, light came into the world, men love darkness rather than light. In other words, sin has blackened the eyes, darkened the eyes, blinded the eyes of the unbeliever in seeing their need for the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. Already in our sin, we are condemned before God. We're born into this world as sinners. So Jesus said in verse 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's the condition. In John 8, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So he said to them in verse 15 of our chapter this morning, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That's the message. That's the good news. It doesn't sound like very good news until you understand why the bad news has to be understood if we're going to understand the good news, that we are sinners and condemned before God. Jesus came into this world to die for our sins and took our place, our penalty, our condemnation on himself on the cross, was died and was buried for three days, paying that penalty, he rose again, the resurrection of Jesus Christ says triumphantly, I have overcome sin, death, and hell for all eternity for those who will believe in me. What an, what an invitation. What good news is that? See, there's this rejoicing good news, but also there's, there's this good news in repenting before God. Repenting just means I'm going a different direction. I realize I'm going this direction, I'm going to go this direction. And that's Repentance. Understanding the bad news is how we really can rejoice in the good news. Jesus rose from the dead that you might live forever. Never separated from God. Never forsaken by God ever again. How? Through your faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, which is what we looked at on Friday night. So let me say straight up. In this message, I am preaching the gospel. I'm preaching it to you at this point in your journey. Have not yet believed to the saving of your soul. But I'm also preaching the gospel because each of us needs to continue to apply the gospel to our lives. We have life because Jesus lives. He is our great high priest. He lives that we might live. The songs we sang this morning were fantastic. Timothy Keller, in The Reason for God, believed in an age of skepticism, wrote this, quote, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether, you, whether or not you like his teaching, 
but whether or not he rose from the dead, unquote. Because without coming to Christ, coming and responding to the need we have for him, we're not going to like his teaching. We're not going to like what we hear. Because we in our sin want to run from those things. But we as acknowledging we are sinners want to run to the cross and run to Christ. It is vital that optimistic feelings are taking their cues from an objective faith. Let me say that again. It is vital that optimistic feelings are taking their cues from an objective faith. In other words, someone said, I need to live forever. So far, so good. What about so far as eternity? J.I. Packer said this, quote, Optimism hopes for the best without any guarantee of its arriving, and it's often no more than whistling in the dark. That's optimism. Christian hope, by contrast, is faith looking back and looking ahead to the fulfillment of the promises of God. We looked at a lot of those last Sunday. We celebrated the, the death on Friday. Resurrection guarantees Jesus is who he claimed to be, and Jesus accomplished what he promised he would, and we through faith in him have resurrection life, and he who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? You bet I believe it. I banked my whole life on that. But it's on objective faith, which we'll look at in a moment. It's on Jesus doing some things that were historically, historically recorded, logically makes sense, scripturally deep. So, on the Sabbath, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam, verse 1, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. They want to give him a respectful burial. So we'll take a much more in-depth look study of these amazing women, and there were a lot of them. Key women who ministered to Jesus from their substance, who were there through thick and thin. We'll look at these when we go get to these passages in our study in Mark. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of, from the, door of the tomb for us? Now, you, you've heard this, many of you have heard this before. That stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so they could get in. And they go, and they're expecting the stone to be closed. So the women were the last ones to leave Jesus when he died on the cross. But they're also those who come into the tomb still never crossed in their minds that Jesus would live again. They were coming to that tomb to anoint him and give him a burial. Jesus was dead as far as they were concerned. He would not be living again. Even having seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, but to raise himself, no way. Even though Jesus had told them he would rise again, that can't be true. Even though Jesus had taught them of life beyond this life, they say, what life are you talking about? Another profound statement spoken by Jesus is this. He said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. There's only one truth, there's only one life, and his name is Jesus. And that's what we celebrate. So when they looked up, they saw him, the stone had been rolled away for a very large stone. They entered the tomb, 
And then they fled from the tomb. These women were the first ones to the tomb. And they would have been the first ones to tell you why they went there. If you were to ask them. The angel asked them in Luke, we get this, why do you seek the living among the dead? They were not looking for the living. They were looking for the dead. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Good question. When they came to that tomb, they were not hoping to see Jesus and have a little chat with him. Their only thoughts were to give him a proper burial. Death had won. We've all been to funerals. We've all been to memorials. And in those and during those times, what is the hope of that person's life? What was their hope in? One day, we will be having a funeral for us. What is your hope leading up to that day? They came to the tomb, they entered the tomb, and they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. No kidding. He is not here. Where is he? That's what Where is he? They heard, they came, they entered it, and then they fled. And then we read, they were alarmed. They trembled and were amazed, verse 8. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So this response is one of absolute astonishment at something they just heard, but they cannot possibly compute it. What's going on here? He's not here, but where is he? What happened? And I think this young man in a long white robe, this angelic being, was having a hard time keeping his composure. I mean, that's the resurrection. Don't you know he wants to shout? He is not, he's risen. And that's what sort of exudes from this understanding as the angelic being was saying, he is not here, he is risen. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's risen, just like he told you, he's risen. And I, I, I suggest that all the angels are looking on with joy inexpressible and full of glory. It's like, wow, we get to tell them. Wow, look at what's going on there. And I think Jesus also himself, as we look at what was happening and transpiring there, and how he went about revealing himself, it's just to sort of put an edge to it of joy inexpressible and full of glory. That this would actually happen. That he would actually rise from the dead. That he would overcome these things that he went through and rise again as their savior. The reality of the resurrection is what joy shall fill my heart. It is real. He is alive. And so they're making their way back to their companions. Having heard this, alarmed, amazed, afraid. And I think they're saying to themselves, nobody's going to believe it. <laughs> We're going to go back and tell them what we just heard. They're not going to believe it. And indeed, they didn't. And may I say to each one of us who are believers in the room, this is like, really? To the unbeliever, it's that same sort of shock. That's, but it brings also to, to light the need that they have to really seriously consider Jesus' resurrection from the dead, because that's the difference between every other religion that people have ever made up. 
is the resurrection of the Son of God. And so they didn't. So when he wrote, now verse 9, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they mourned and wept, as they mourned and wept. And when they heard the news he was alive and had seen, been seen by her, they did not believe. That's the, basically the theme of the chapter. They did not believe. It's too absolutely incredible. And I think it should be the same sort of sense. In, this is too good to be true. But it's not too good because God is good. And God wanted us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's taken care of our problem. He's taken care of sin. He's taking care of death. He's taking care of the devil. He's taking care of hell. He's opened the gate wide and say, come. So in Luke chapter 24, then they returned and told all these things to the 11 and all the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, verse 11, and their words seemed like idle tales. They did not believe. That's the theme. That's what was happening now. They are not believing. They're not, oh, cool, just like we thought. But Peter arose, verse 12, ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. This whole thing's got Peter talking to himself. What? What's happening here? And after he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. This is in Luke chapter 24. Amazing story. I want to read a little bit of it. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, and here it is, I think Jesus is getting a kick out of it. Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is that you have with one another as you walk in our sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? This is great. What things? What happened, pals? The thing concerning Jesus Nazareth, who was a prophet. He was not a prophet. He was the prophet. Mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was, it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today it is the third day since this, these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us, blew our minds. We're still thinking about it. We're still trying to figure it out. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen, also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. Where is he? What happened to him? Then he said to them, oh, foolish of heart. Foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning Moses to all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Would you not have loved to have heard that Bible study? He didn't just go, hey, I'm, I'm alive. No, he made hidden from them. 
he opens the scriptures to them. And as he's doing that, and get, he's getting to the end of the travel, he's going to go on. But they know, stay with us, stay with us. And so he did. And he explained the scriptures. He talked about himself to them. And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened up the scriptures? Profound. The resurrection, the 40 days that followed, are filled with wonder and joy as Jesus makes his way of revealing himself in many different ways to these people who did not believe. And when they were, verse 13, and then they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Here's the deal. All the joy and wonder can be completely missed through unbelief and hardness of heart. All of it. It's like it has no substance, no power. And rather to say, hold on a second, is this true? Is this really what the scriptures say? When I read the scriptures, do they burn in my heart? Do I allow God to speak to me through his word and, and move my heart about these things that he told us way, way before they ever happened? In Risen Jesus and Future Hope, Gary Habermas documents the most comprehensive investigation on what scholars believed about the resurrection. He reports that virtually all scholars across the ideological spectrum, from ultra-liberals to Bible-thumping conservatives... They agree the following points concerning Jesus and Christianity are actual historical facts. Number one, Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. Secondly, he was buried most likely in a private tomb. Looking at, this, at the account, the scriptures, looking at the things that were written. Soon afterwards, the disciples were discouraged, bereaved, and despondent, having lost hope. They weren't going to say, I told you. No, they, they had lost hope. Fourth, Jesus' tomb was found empty very soon after his internment. Instead of Joseph Arimathea, whose tomb. Frank comes said, why are you giving him your tomb? He said, he just needs it for the weekend. Dude, number six. Uh, excuse me, number five. The disciples had experiences that they believed were actual appearances of Jesus. It wasn't this mass hypnotism. It's number six. Due to these appearances of Jesus, the disciples' lives were thoroughly transformed. They were even willing to die for their belief. It's one thing to die for what you believe, but it's another thing to die for what you know is a lie. They died because they believed it was true. James, the brother of Jesus, had been skeptical before this time. He was converted and he believed he also saw the risen Jesus. Which he did. Number eight, just a few years later, many of you know the story. Saul of Tarsus became a believer who hated Christians, who hated Jesus. Why? He had an experience that he also believed was the appearance of Jesus Christ to himself. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is a verifiable historical fact. If he did not, then Christianity is at best just another false religion. 
Paul told the Corinthians, if Christ has been preached that he's risen, but he's not risen from the dead, they said, if there's no resurrection, Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses. If he hasn't risen, everything is on the resurrection of Christ. Because we have testified to God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Brother, you get it? Jesus rose from the dead, and that is why we're here today. That is why we have this hope, inexpressible joy, and full of, because Jesus has risen from the dead. You are still in your sins. Wow. If he didn't rise from the dead, he died for some reason, but not for my sins. The resurrection is proof positive that his sacrifice was sufficient to put away the sin of the world. That includes yours. He died for our sins. He had no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. You see, if he didn't rise, then the sacrifice was not acceptable. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died have perished. Any memorial that we've had that says, hey, they believed in the Lord. We know where they are. We know what's going to happen. We know where we'll meet them. Forget it if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. 1 Corinthians, he goes on, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. For since by man came death, Adam, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Jesus is the second Adam without sin who paid the price for your sin and my sin. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you come to Christ, you confess Christ, and God will then impute to you the righteousness of God through faith. He will give to you the righteousness of God through your faith. He will declare all your sins past, paid, and done. That's the gospel. Yeah. The originator of a new religion came to the great French diplomat statesman Charles Talleyrand and complained that he could not make any converts. What would you suggest I do, he said. I should recommend, said Talleyrand, that you get yourself crucified, and then die, and be sure to rise again the third day. We have it on unshakable and solid ground to believe in him who died on the cross, brutally murdered, and verifiably dead for three days. We have it as an unshakable, solid ground to believe in him who spoke clearly about his death before it happened and exactly as it was going to happen. We have the unshakable, solid ground of fulfilled scriptures, an empty tomb, a risen Jesus, hundreds of eyewitnesses, and millions upon millions of changed lives to believe in him who rose from the dead and said, repent and believe the gospel. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And he said to them, verse 15, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. 
So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through them, through the accompanying signs. Everyone said, Amen. They did it. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Nothing's changed about what Jesus accomplished. Nothing's changed about what our foundation is. Believe it. Believe it. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which you also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, dead. And that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And then he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and then by over 500 witnesses at one time. And then last of all, he said he was seen by me, Paul. Romans 10, if you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. As I began, so I would say now, have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I look out here and most of you I, I know or have met. But this is not something necessarily that you might, that, that people know as far as what's going on in your heart with God. That's between you and Him. The gospel is the good news from you, from Him to you personally. So if you're still not convinced... Consider one more piece of corroborating evidence, the incredible impact of Jesus' life in the world. It's expressed in a little essay titled, One Solitary Life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never owned a home. He never went to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the, through the pity of a friend. Twenty long centuries have come and gone, and today he is a centerpiece of the human race and leader of the column of progress. It's Jesus. I am well within my mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that of one solitary life. Can we give it up for Jesus? The most profound statement ever uttered by any human being was spoken by Jesus. I am the resurrection of life. 
He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this this morning? What a fabulous celebration we have because of him. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We shall rise. He will call us out of the grave. He will call us up in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord.